My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are, so don't do it. Don't sue us. Um, I think it's recording. Hello, welcome to Playing in Traffic. We have a really, really special guest today, everybody. Today, we are going to talk with Raymond. Raymond is here with us, and he is a former member of the church that I was in. And he's sort of famous in like the former church member world. Um, He's gone through a lot with the church. And um, so we're very excited to have him here. Raymond was baptized in 2005, a long time ago. And uh, he stayed until 2012, the end of 2012, which I'm excited to ask you about that. And um, he was in the New York church. Um, And he was also a deacon. So that's going to be really interesting. He was able to be inside of how a cult will work. So we're excited to hear about that. So welcome, Raymond. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for for the opportunity. I actually, I love your podcast. I've listened to to all of them. Uh, so, So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. We know, we know, um, it's been a while. And this is the first time that you're coming out and telling your story. So we just are like, so grateful that you chose our platform. And we're just so happy to have you. It's gonna be so exciting to hear this. So thank you. All right. I think we just Yeah, take it away. Kind of tell us, tell us the bones of the story. And yes, so so I guess to to give some context uh, about my life. I am from the Dominican Republic um, and I am an only child. And when I graduated high school, I decided to come to America to go to school because I just wanted to get you know, the American degree and go back to my country uh, as, as a software engineer. So on my first summer class, this guy approaches me during my break and he's like, hi, I'm a theology student with Elohim Academy and I have a survey for you. He was not a theology student. There was no Elohim Academy and he didn't have a survey. So so from the get go, my first interaction with the Church of God was a lie. And and, and that, I think, summarizes what I think about them. They're, they're really dishonest. You know, since the beginning, it was just dishonesty. 
And this this guy asked me about my purpose in life, if I want to understand about my purpose in life, where I come from, where I go, I'm going to. And you have this 18-year-old kid that has been in America for a couple months in college, and you're asking him about his purpose in life. Of course, you know, of course I, I want to understand my purpose in life. So I decided to go with him to the church, and I started with the pastor, and I got baptized. Uh, that was in Bogota, New Jersey, in 2005. And at that time, they would baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ, An Sang Hong. They wouldn't even say the name of An Sang Hong only. They would say Jesus Christ, An Sang Hong. Even in service, at the end of the prayer, they would say in the name of Jesus Christ, An Sang Hong. So I thought this, this was just a regular Christian church. And in the beginning, I wasn't even able to keep service. They wouldn't let me. They would. Can I ask a quick question? Yep. I'm just curious, when you were baptized, did they keep service in Korean? Um, no, 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 they not, weren't keeping service in No, okay. Because I heard like when in the, like, you know, when the church first came to America that they had been keeping service in Korean. Okay, I'm yes, sorry. Yes, yes, I heard the same. So how interesting that they baptize in Jesus Christ on Song Hong instead of just on Song Hong. Okay. Yep. And I don't know if it's the experience of all the churches, but that was in, in right. the East Coast. It was like that. But they saw it change over time to yeah. just on Song yeah, that, that changed to Ansan Hong. Um, and when I was able to keep service, also in the new songbooks, it said the name Ansan Hong. So I asked, like, what does this Ansan Hong mean? And one deacon, you know, sat down with me and wrote the name Ansan Hong and looked at me. And I thought he was going to give me like this deep secret. And he looked at me and he told me, this is Jesus Christ in Korean. So I was like, fine, you know, sure. This is this, this how you say Jesus Christ in Korean. So I was fine with it. Um, in in the East Coast, the, the studies are really organized, at least at that time. So they would do like 10 to 15 studies in the beginning uh, where they wouldn't mention Ansan Hong or Mother or nothing. Um, it would be just Sabbath day, Passover, cross idolatry and the different prophecies. So, so in the beginning, nothing seemed weird. And then they get into how, when and where and how being the clouds, when the victory lesson and where about the East. And when you study this is when they start talking to you then about Ansan Hong and when they tell you, well, Jesus Christ came in, in 1948 uh, and he, sta he started this church, but they are still not telling you the name. And then they go into where, and that's when they tell you that he came from South Korea. And that's when they tell you the name, the name is Ansan Hong. So you've been, already going for a couple weeks or months when you find out about this name of An Sang Hong. And they tell you that nobody in the church had died since 1948. I remember yeah. that being a big thing for Tony. Yeah, like, I, it, it's impressive. That can happen to me. That is impressive. Yeah. A place with no death since 1948, for, for me, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. But especially when I got to that point, I was struggling a lot with the studies um, because I, I, I have a pretty strong Catholic background. Um, I come from a very conservative family in Dominican Republic, which is not American conservative. It doesn't have to do with politics, but more like very Catholic, very sheltered, very like you have to do whatever your parents say and, and obey. Uh, but I... I was I had gone to Catholic school my whole life. Um, so I had a basic understanding of the Bible um, and I knew 
what a parable was. I knew that a parable was a story that had a meaning, right? That had a teaching, like like a Full House episode, right? That, you know, at the end, you learned something from it. I knew that a parable wasn't a word or that a parable wasn't a statement. So I, I understood that. Um, and the way that they would use like comparisons, met- metaphors, analogies threw me off uh, because that's just not the way that you read something, right? Like if I said, my wife is beautiful like a flower, you understand that what I'm saying is just that my wife is beautiful. You're not going to say, well, Raymond is saying that if you understand flowers, you are going to understand his wife. And if the same characteristics of a flower are the same characteristics of his wife, that's not how you read. Like, that's Such not a sense. good explanation of the Bible teachings. Yeah, They're so frustrating. <laughs> that is exactly how they do it. And, and when they were doing it for like seal of God, it, it wasn't such a big deal for me because I mean, you wouldn't go to hell for thinking that winds are war, which is something that they tell you in seal of God. But when you're telling me that I have to stop praying in the name of Jesus Christ and I have to start praying in the name of Aung San Hong, now the stakes are a little bit higher because especially me that come from a religious background, now we are getting into like heresy and blasphemy, right? So now my soul is at stake uh, because if Jesus Christ is the real name and I'm praying in the name of An Sang Hong, I'm going to go to hell. But if An Sang Hong is the real name and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, I am going to go to hell. Did you um, did you know pretty early in that they were saying the Catholic Church was the, the devil? Yeah, so they do that before they tell you about An Sang Hong. So I kept doing more studies um, I kept going, I kept learning because I, I was afraid. Um, and I was asking questions. I kept asking questions. And they have this mantra of you can ask any questions that you want, but but it's not true. They, they, they want you to ask the questions that are easy for them to answer. Uh, so first they will tell me just just study later. They have a study about this, exactly about what you're asking. I had the same question. That's what everybody tells you. I had the same question and there's another study about this and you're going to learn and you're going to be fine. And then when I kept asking questions, they they started to tell me, well, the reason why you don't believe is because of your lack of faith. So now it's, it's on me. Now it's my fault, right? Like it's not that they're not explaining it correctly. It's not that I have to study more. Now it's something on me that I just don't believe. Um, so I had to make sure, right, my, my salvation was a stake. Um, and I thought these people were really smart. I mean, these are like people in suits, everybody seems like they agree. And, and I thought they were really smart and that they, they understood this and that they had done the studies that I had not done. So if they're agreeing with this, they understand something I don't understand. So. I just have to give it time. And I was emotionally invested in this place, right? I had been there for months. These were my only friends in America. Like when I joined, I had been here for months. And these were the only people who I knew and they were super nice. Every time I entered that place, it was like I was a celebrity. Everything I said was so smart. They, they treated me like I treat my five-year-old son, that everything is just so amazing everything that they do, everything that they say. And and honestly, it was my first time 
dealing with adults who would lie to me and that did not have my best interest at hand, right? Because I was 18. And some people think like 18, you're close to 20. I was also close to 16. I was also close to, you know, 17. I was a kid. I had no experience uh, in, in life. But, you know, I, I stopped thinking. I stopped my critical thought because I thought that's what was stopping me from having the faith that I required to understand these things. And I suspended my disbelief. And, and, and I made the, the biggest mistake I've made in my life that was to trust them, you know, to believe in them, uh, to think that what they were saying was true, that nobody had died, to believe that um, there was another study that, that was going to explain everything and that everything was going to make sense later. And yeah, and they took advantage of me. Um, and, and once you do those studies, once you get to that point, is when the fear starts, right? That's when they got you, once you start believing. And they try to see how hard can they push on you. And, and I'm not saying it's intentional. I'm not saying that they're sitting in a room and planning, how am I going to brainwash Raymond? They are doing what was done to them. They are just repeating exactly what was done to them. It's just an assembly line of like brainwashing people. And they're just repeating the same. And you become a cog in that machine of making gospel workers. And now when a member leaves the room from studying the fig tree lesson and they tell you, you are like, wasn't that amazing? That was amazing, right? Yeah, 1948, that's when he was supposed to come, right? And the church was established in 1948. You don't tell them, yeah, this, this verse here made no sense to me. You don't tell them that. You tell them it was amazing. So they're seeing Raymond as well. And they think, well, Raymond seems smart. And for him, it's amazing. So if they had an, a doubt, they will think, you know, maybe I just have to study more. And all of us are just doing the same thing to each other. And, and the love stops. Once you finish all that, the love stops. And in the beginning, the church is the most loving place. And then you cannot uh, expect love from sinners. And that's one, something that they tell you. You cannot expect love from sinners, and sinners shouldn't expect love. And if they do something that is wrong, well, it doesn't matter because you are a sinner who came from heaven. This is jail. People are not supposed to be happy in jail. So this is just part of it. And that's why I think the people who say that the Church of God is so loving, they're remembering the first one or two months that they've been there, and it's like, and I'm not minimizing this this problem, but but it is like battered woman syndrome, where you remember the first things that they did that were nice, and those like little hints of love. And if anybody asks you, you say, "It's the most loving place. That's all I know, love." But it's because you're holding on to those first weeks, you know, first months uh, where they actually gave you love. But it's not loving anymore when you're becoming a gospel worker. And in the in the beginning, you have to keep one service on Sabbath day, and that's enough. You know, you just have to keep one service. And then they tell you, well, God said Sabbath day, not Sabbath hour. So now you have to keep three services, not only one. And you have to keep third day service because if you keep Sabbath day without third day service, it doesn't make sense because you have to be clean before you keep the Sabbath day. 
And the reason why you do all this is for the Feast of God. So you have to keep all the Feast of God. But if you don't keep the early morning service at 5 a.m. and the evening service at 7.30 through those seven or 10 days, there's no point in keeping, in keeping the feast. And besides that, you have to tie an offer. But if you do all of that, that just makes you a law keeper. And law keepers do not go to the kingdom of heaven. For you to go to the kingdom of heaven, you have to be a child of God. And the children of God are the ones who take care of the church, who clean, who cook, who, who study, who teach, who take care of their brothers and sisters. And you need to start getting your blessings because blessings become the currency that you can use to go to the kingdom of heaven. And without that, you cannot go to the kingdom of heaven. But even when you do all that, if you have no fruit, you're going to go to hell because the tree that does not bear fruit is thrown in the fire. So you have to be a law keeper. You have to be a child of God. And on top of that, you have to preach and bear fruit. And you don't have all the time in the world because this is time bound, right? This is a race against time because it's possible that Father is going to come next week because Father is coming really soon. And at least in that time, only 144,000 could go to the kingdom of heaven and it was a competition because if you were one of the 144,000 and somebody worked harder than you, they will take your place. So if a brother or sister is preaching and bearing fruit and I am not, I am in big trouble. I am in big trouble. I should be preaching right now because if Father come next week, this brother or sister could have taken my place as one of the 144,000. And then they're telling you that when the end is going to come, mother is going to say, no more trips to Korea, no more preaching. And people are coming from Korea telling you that this was the last trip to Korea. Every other trip, they will come back from Korea telling you, this is the last trip to Korea. What year do you think it was when they were saying it was the last trip? I heard it the first time I heard it had to be maybe 2006. You heard it several times. But I heard it several times. <laughs> Every year. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's not hyperbole. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. People really believe it too. Like, so one, one interesting thing was that you got out in December of 2012. Um, and I think that's important because one of the main studies, you know, like we really, really believe that the world was going to end in 2012. Yep. At the so end I'm, of December. So when we saw when you left, we were like, that's we were so like, that he left right before yep. the world is supposed to end. Yeah. So how did that happen? Like, I'm really curious how that happened, if if you want to explain. How, how I left? Just sort of how you left before the end of, you know, quote unquote, the end. Because we noticed a lot of people getting out in 2013 yep. after, you know, the failed 2012 prophecy. But you yep. got out before 2012 ended. And, and I feel like that must have been very fearful for you. Like, oh, my God, you know. I had already been part of, like, the internet mission, uh, part of the tech room, volunteering activity committee. Um, I was um, a deacon. I was arranged to, to be married. The pastor told me to quit school. Um, I had led one church with 90 members, and I was leading a church with 200 members. Uh, at that time. And and already I thought that if, if the pastor was using a verse, 
that was wrong, that didn't make sense, I thought he made a mistake. You know, he, he's not perfect. He's not God. Uh, if they did anything that was unethical, that was immoral, I would think, you know, there are sinners. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, if if Ansan Hong used the wrong verse, like a verse out of context in the book, I would think, well, maybe the English or Spanish translation is not correct. And he's quoting like the original language, you know, so that's why, you know, he wasn't wrong. Um, and, and I thought, again, that that leadership knew a lot, that they knew way more than I knew. And when you start getting closer to leadership, you realize they don't understand that much. In many things, they knew less than I knew, because by 2012, I had been, for example, in the Internet mission for about five years. And the pastor had told me that, um, for example, he found out that Ansan had children when he was already in America. Uh, that, that, that's what he told me. And he would say like, oh, well, it's because Koreans don't care. You know, Koreans don't care about father's physical life. And, and it's not that they don't care. It's just nobody told him. And he found out when he was here. So the pastor who had been in Korea, he had become, I'm so sorry, Lindsay. No, that's all right. You just dropped a bomb on Tony. I can see. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The truth, right? Like in, in leadership and how little they knew and, and how much they were using like verses and history out of context that, and they knew very little. Um, and, and, and once you're there, like, it's like in the Wizard of Oz where like you see the wizard behind the curtain and a lot of the magic and the mysticism is lost. Um, and, and I remember going to my sisters, my, my half sisters, I had not seen them in over a year. And I spent time with them. I spent time with my nieces and nephews. And I had such a great time. And I was like, I, I wish I could have this. Like, this is so nice. Like, this is, you know, like having a family, having nieces and nephews. You know, it's, it's it was nice. You know, I liked it. So when I was driving back home, they live in Pennsylvania. So it was like two hours away. When I was driving back home, I was thinking, um, well, if this is the truth, I have to cut this off, like family and everything. I have to really, none of this matters if this is the truth. But if this is not true, I have to leave. Like I am wasting my time. So in the beginning, I spent some time, like over a month where I fasted, I prayed, I preached. Because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't like Satan, you know, taking over my mind, taking over my brain. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was good, you know, with father and mother. Um, and that did not work. I still had a lot of doubts uh, about the teachings. So I decided to have an honest research. Like, and, and, and allowed myself to doubt, which was something I was not doing before. Every time I had a doubt, I would put it in the back of my head and I would say that's Satan. So for the first time since the, since I joined, um, I allowed myself to doubt. And I was already numb to a lot of the behavior of the cult um, and not to like Anton Hon's life and Unsuin, New Covenant Passover Church of God. I already knew all that uh, because, again, because of the internet mission. Um, and I was not tired and I didn't want to go to the world. But I wanted to make sure that the studies uh, were true. You know, so I researched, um, I went on the verses, I looked at the original language when something wouldn't make sense. I went over father's books. 
I wrote everything down and I checked the history. I checked and everywhere that when they will mention a year, I would compare it. Um, and my bias at that time was still for the church. I wanted the church to be true because I had been there for years. Um, but when I finished my research, I realized that it was false. That the teachings did not make sense. That the teachings were not true, that the verses were taken out of context. And then after that, when you start thinking about the behavior, which I was able to cover for before, now then you realize the behavior is wrong. Now it's not only a false church, now it's not only not true, but now it's an unethical place, it's an immoral place, and it's a cult. You know, and that's what I had been doing, you know, for eight years. And I remember texting my sister and telling her, I am in a cult. And I was in bed and I just cried. I just cried because I realized, like, all of this that I've been fighting for, I, I, I quit school. I joined when I was 18, now I'm 26. And I realized this is wrong, this is a cult. But I was married as well. I had been married already for three years, so I couldn't just get up and leave. I had to find a way to pretty much get her out. Um, because Wait, I, And you guys met in the church and- We, we were arranged. You were arranged. Yeah, we, we, we never talked before, we never texted, nothing. And we were married a week and a half later. Wow. Uh, when the pastor told us, yeah, but I didn't want to leave her there. Yeah. Um, and I knew if I told her I want to leave, um, that she would tell the pastor and the pastor would tell her to leave me. So yeah. I, ha I had seen that before. Yeah. I had seen it being done to other people. Um, so I kept leading the church. I kept baptizing people. I keep keeping, I, I keep giving service. I was giving service four times a week and giving service during the, the during the feast. But what I was doing was trying to come up with a plan to get my wife out of this place. And I told all my sisters, I met with her mom, and I told her, this is a cult, you know, I'm gonna get her out. Um, and still I was having to give service. And before you give service, you have to like pray in silence. And I was just there just thinking like, how am I going to get out of this place uh, in the altar? You know, cause I, I just, I was tired but I wanted to get her out. Uh, and I got a therapist uh, that was uh, that knew about cults. And I was talking to, the, to her throughout all this time and reading books. And my plan was to do an intervention on my wife. But my plan was for our family to do an intervention on both of us. Because I knew if I stayed in the intervention, she would stay with me. Because uh, what usually happens in interventions is that people see their family, and then they run away. So I was like, you know, if I stay, she's going to stay as well. And kind of pretend like you're also in the intervention. That's a really and, good exactly. idea. Exactly. I, 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 I think it was a good idea. <laughs> uh, but we didn't have to get there uh, because at the time, the the church we were leading was about a year, an hour and a half away from our house. So we would drive an hour and a half going, an hour and a half coming. And I started to put videos of talks of cult experts. And I would tell my wife that that was part of the internet mission, that I just had to make sure that they weren't talking about us. <laughs> so, you know, that made sense 
for her, you know, because I was always like in top of all of this. So we will listen to uh, these videos. And then, you know, she got interested in cults and we started to watch videos about other cults, you know, people's temples, uh, branch Davidians, Heaven's Gates. And I remember the, the day when we finished watching people's temple, about people's temple. I remember where we were. And when we finished it and she saw how these mothers were putting poison on their children and drinking poison and killing themselves, uh, she asked me, she told me, these people are crazy. How can they do that? And I asked her, well, what would you do if Maya tells you to drink poison? And she said, I would drink it. And that's what clicked on her, she tells me. When she said that, she was like, wait a second, so do you think we are a cult? And I tried to like play it out and I was like, well, we have cultish behavior, but we are the truth. You know, as long as you're the truth, it's okay if you're a cult. But that did not convince her, right? I was trying to put like in her mind that we were a cult. And then we, we started to talk and, and I broke down and I told her, listen, I saw this and I showed her everything that I had researched. Um, and I told her like, please just don't tell anybody just go through this, you know, let's talk. And she wasn't as numb as I was. My wife, my wife had been there for seven years. She had never gone to the internet. She had never had a doubt. So when I showed her all of this, she was ready to leave. Um, you know, I asked her like, so what do you want to do? And she was like, this is not true. Let's leave. Um, and we stayed for about two days more, uh, just picking our things up from the churches, the different churches that we were in, um, and then we left. And was she a deaconess? was a deaconess. Wow. And, and, and it's funny because even though I knew everything was false, I had no doubt when I left, uh, but I was still afraid. I still had fear. I was still afraid that I was going to get into a car accident. I was still afraid that I was going to get cancer um, all of a sudden. Because that is the most, that is the strongest thing that they have on you. It's not mother, it's not father, it's the fear that they have for you, that, that, they, that they put on you. And after the pastor came from Korea and I met with him uh, in private, uh, well, in private, quote unquote, because it was with a pastor, with a couple of missionaries. And I was able to ask him questions and he had no answers. And here I am talking with this guy who I thought knew so much and and was like really next to mother and he had no answers for my questions. Not like he didn't want to give the pearls to the pigs. No, he tried to give me answers. They were just dumb. They were just horrible answers and they didn't make any sense. You know, and after I left about 30 or 40 people left, um, which which was great because it became like our, our, our little community. And, and the church was saying that I was reaching out to people to try to get them out. In reality, I wasn't picking up the phone calls of people. I didn't want to be seen as Satan. Um, I, I talked with a, with a couple, with a few of the ones who were my friends, but most people, I was not picking up their, their phone call, but a bunch of them left and we started to just hang out after we left. And when one person would leave, like on the Sabbath day, we would meet up 
just because we knew it was uncomfortable the first Sabbath day. And we will, you know, go out and talk till late at night. And no matter what we will talk about, we will finish talking about the church. And everybody had so many different stories that were horrible. Everybody had horrible stories about their experience there. And nobody regrets it. Nobody missed the church. You know, everybody would knew uh, that it was a cult. And I, I started to, to get to know places, started to get to know my wife, started to get to know myself. Because again, I was 18 when I joined. Um, I finished college, I graduated, I got my degree. Um, I was able to surprise my mom. So I started to go to college at night. And then the day of my graduation, I told her, hey, I'm gonna pick you up for lunch. And I went on my rope. And when she saw me, she just broke down because that was the reason why I came to America. The reason why I came to America was to go to school. And I threw, you know, my whole life. And my mom thought, you know, I, I she had lost me. And then I was able to, you know, to pick up uh, and finish. Uh, they said that I started my own church. They said that I left because of the internet. They said that I talked to a bunch of people, uh, that I've been paid by the Catholic Church. Um, they showed my picture in different churches, telling people not to talk to me. Uh, but, you know, I'm good. I've, I've been married for 12 years. Uh, I have two kids now, um, and I'm involved in the, in the different lawsuits, and I still talk with, you know, ex-members when they leave, some current members uh, that need somebody to talk, and parents. Uh, which for me are the most difficult ones to talk to parents. Uh, sometimes I I feel like I I want to forget about this cult and you know just keep moving. And then you talk to a mom that has a kid in that place, and you realize how much harm this place does, and how this place is really it's not hyperbole. This place is a cancer to society. It's not a good place. If if the members talk to these moms. And to this dad, they would see the real harm that they do and, and, and that there are consequences. You know, and a lot of people are affected. Um, I regret going. I'm not going to say that, you know, it made me the person who I am today. No, I could have paid a life coach uh, with the money that I spent there. Uh, you know, I'm happy to have left and I met the worst people I've ever met in my life there. And I've met some of the nicest people I've met in my life there. And I really wish one day they leave uh, and we can have a cup of coffee. Uh, but if they don't, it, it's fine. You know, Congratulations. My, my... Thank you. And congratulations on getting out, getting your wife out. You are so wise. Like, it just seems like you... You really did all the right things and you made all the right steps and it was not easy. I mean, none of that could have been easy. So, I'm so sorry for everything that you went through, but congratulations on getting your you. degree. Did, are, you a, are you a civil engineer like you originally had planned? Software engineer. I'm nice. a geek. I'm a congratulations. Nerd. That's amazing. And, and the fact that you were able to keep your family intact, like mm -hmm. especially as an arranged marriage, you know, that is something that is so rare and um, really, really special. So congratulations on that. That's so Thank beautiful. You. I love your story. It's so I, beautiful. I, I think it's fascinating that you left in 2012 and then you just really quickly said you're still involved in lawsuits with them. That's so still crazy. 2022. <laughs> the first time you've ever told your story publicly so yeah. like 
you're you haven't been out on the internet like making videos or anything and you're still involved in the legal stuff of it yep because i feel like you earlier on they probably felt like they had so much power to come after ex-members and maybe it doesn't happen as often like currently yeah they they have lost everything that they've tried you know in court (laughs) yeah they they, it it has not gone well for them yeah i mean because even just just off the top of my head with no legal knowledge of any of it. I'm like, I have no idea where they think that they are able to do that. Well, I I don't think, and this this is my opinion, I don't think they care about winning. uh, Um, I think uh, they just want to scare people. The problem is that they have found some really strong, listen, I was raised by a lot of strong women. Michelle Cologne is strong. Like she won't give up. She won't be tired and they won't outwork her. And I think they thought if they just push hard enough, she's going to give up. You know, and some of these people are just going to give up. Um, and and they won't. You know, and yeah. I, I don't think they were counting on that. It's like, come at me, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a really important uh, thing that you mentioned, that they are not trying to win. It doesn't matter to them if they win. As we know, they have endless amounts of money to do yeah. these lawsuits. And it's more of a bully tactic, a scare tactic to stop people from speaking out. Correct. So that is so interesting. And I think it is interesting about how you were inside. And so you were sort of, like you said, like we're kind of like part of the part of the cog in the wheel right yep and then we come out and then we're sort of like and then you sort of became the target of that that same thing that you were doing inside you know um is this a good time to talk about the internet mission yeah sure yeah i'm so interested in that um all righty so so i guess let me give some history (laughs) about about the internet mission and, and what i know about the like the presence of the WMS in the internet. So the first website that criticized the WMS was one called like skepticism.net. Uh, and it's in website archive. You can go at that time. Uh, still, the, tree, the, the internet wasn't the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, so a lot of members will talk. And we'll talk about 2012. Can you explain what they meant when they said, when you go on the internet, it's like eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Yep. Because I sort of remember them telling me that, but I remember always thinking, like, I don't really understand what that means. So, so this, this is what they say. Uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat of it, you're going to surely die. And you don't die because the fruit is bad. You die because God said, if you eat of it, if you disobey, you will surely die. So they say the internet, you die not because of what they say there is true, but because you're disobeying mother. So if you go to the internet, you will surely die. It is like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, and it it makes sense if you are brainwashed. It makes sense. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and then there was this this guy uh, that had a username of erratic cheese. And he started a website, ansanhon.tripod.com, which is also in the internet archive. And that was like a more organized website where they would have like articles. Um, a good amount of what was in that website was not true. Um, it was this guy that was also like a little bit of a troll, uh, but but it was a lot of members would, would go there and then they would leave, I, I think. 
Um, that's what they would say, at least. So that's when we started to create the internet mission. And the internet mission was just a mission where we created blogs and websites that talked about the church. And the purpose of this was just for them to be in the first page of Google and push everything else down. So we created this plan with the domain names that we were going to buy. We sent it, this plan to Korea for approval. And then about four of us started to just create blogs and websites in GeoCities, which doesn't exist anymore, in Tripod, which doesn't exist anymore, and, and, and a couple of like WordPress websites. Uh, we made some videos and put them in a website called ProveAnsanghon.com, which again, you can go into Website Archive and see how we tried to debunk the, the Tripod website. But everything was like ad hominem attacks. Nothing was taking what they were saying and debunking like, oh no, that is false because this is what the Bible is saying. It was just ad hominem attacks. And then we started to include more members and we created more blogs. And we went from being like four or five of us to being around 50 members writing blogs. And we will create the blogs for them. We will give them the username and password and we will tell them this is your schedule. This is when you have to write a blog post and this is how many we expect in a week. And in some of this, you would have multiple members writing blog posts uh, and you didn't care that the blogs were accurate, that they were good. Because um, again, it was just push content. So they will be in the first web, first page. And some of them, you will tell them like write Ansan Hon the correct way. Some of you have the mission of writing it separate. Some of you are supposed to write it with a typo so that when somebody Googles it, this is what they're going to find out, right? So, so this was the, the plan. And then we were able to take the Tripod website down by complaining to Tripod on a technicality. It wasn't like copyright or nothing like that, but the explanation is too geeky to be interested, interesting in a podcast, but it was for a technical reason. Um, and that person decided to create a website somewhere else in tinypurplegrapes.com. At that time, we decided, well, the pastor came from Korea and he said that a pastor in Korea had started a website against the WMS, but that it was just to get information about the critics. And he told us to do that. So we created ansanghon.biz that was where we took all the information from ansanghon.tripod.com and we pretty much pasted it in ansanghon.biz. And we created a forum and a Facebook group so that people and families would talk there and we will have access to their email, to their names, and know who was talking against the church. We were able to take tinypurplegrapes.com down by sending fake letters to the host of that website from like a legal ad, you know, our domain name. But it was just us, like there was no legal team, nothing like that. We just wanted to scare them. And we created a fake phone number with an extension that said like press nine for our legal department. And we attached that phone number to the email that we sent them. And we told them we're going to sue you for copyright. Copyright was just a word that sounded scary. We didn't, invent all our legal knowledge was from Ali McBeal, for those who, who are that old. 
you know, like we, we had no legal training. It was like 21, you know, to 28 year old kids doing all, all this. And at that time, we were the only presence of critics of the Church of God in the Internet. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan was the Church of God, just trying to get information about members. And you will have people who will email uh, this website, you know, telling them, you know, asking for help. And we will always tell them the same. Just don't persecute them. Just let them go. And if it was somebody from the East Coast, uh, you know, that, that was under our pastor, the pastor will read those emails and and make sure to give extra care to those members. And if we knew that somebody was going to get an intervention, the pastor would tell that member, you know, mother told me about this. It wasn't mother. It was their parents that were worried about their kids. And they used that to manipulate more people. Then when there were no more websites talking against the WMS, uh, we put a banner that said, like, we're going to take this website down for legal reasons because we're getting sued. And it was just a way to scare people into starting other websites against the cult. And then other people started to open. So we started a new one called coldwatchandsanghong.com. Same principle. We took some articles down, um, but it was just to get information. And then Michelle Cologne and somebody else started the website examining the WMS COG. And then the WMS was in trouble because now they were messing with people who were really into this, you know, and were really posting good articles. And we tried to get them to merge the websites. You know, we told them like, hey, let's have one larger website where we have all the information. But they were like, no, you know, we have a different goal, different purpose, so we're going to keep it separate. But we tried to pretty much put them together, you know, so we could control the examining website. They didn't want to. Oh, you guys, um, did you do it saying like we're from the church and we want to connect them or you were still pretending like you were an anti? No, we were pretending that we were anti. Oh, so that they would merge it and we will have control oh my God. over what they are doing. Raymond, you're confirming so many people's um, like assumptions. Tony, yeah. Tony's trying to talk and she's on mute. I like it. I could see her frustration. Um, this is like so confirm, like so much confirmation. I know for so many people that over the years have been like, I, you know what I bet they're doing. Yep. But you're like, you're just like conf like confirming it and it's just we we had a spreadsheet of everybody that was talking against the church wow. with all the information that we could have about them so michelle was working on one website and then you were working on one website from inside right yeah. so it's so interesting but now you guys are friends right oh yeah yeah that is amazing <laughs> what a beautiful story that's amazing uh, when you were doing these internet missions, when you were when you were physically doing them, did you do you feel like you experienced any like cognitive dissonance? Like oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyway. Of course, of of course, you you have that, but but then you have the fear, right? That you know, and pressure from the pastor and pressure from the other members. 
Yeah. And you think you're doing God's work, right? You think you're doing God's work. And right. and, and when you are in that state of mind, you can justify anything. Mm-hmm. You can justify anything. You know, and they've trained you to justify anything. So, mm-hmm. again, I knew about everything. I knew about Umsuin. I knew about the New Covenant Passover Church of God. I knew about everything. None of that will bother me at yeah. all. They already tell you about that. Isn't that so crazy? Like, now, yeah, they, talk, right. like, they always talked about it. Right. No, they never kept a secret. But before, they lied about it. Like, right. I asked if Anton Hong had children and if he had a wife. And they told me no, that, that he didn't have a ch- children, that he didn't have a wife. I mean, when you are there, they make it seem that An Sang Hong was alone, working, you know, living alone, barely eating. And then you find out this guy was with his wife and his four kids. I only have two. I'm not alone. You know, like that's a bunch of kids. Yeah. You know, and you have pictures like mother would say, oh, father, he was so poor. He only had one suit and it was a winter suit. You know, so in summertime, he was he would be so hot, you know, because he he had to wear it. I have about five pictures with five different suits. You know, mother said these are videos right, that that I've seen of, of mother saying that that father loved apples, but they were so poor that they couldn't buy apples for father. And that now that they can buy apples, that father is not with us anymore. I have pictures of Ansan Hong eating apples, huge apples. I don't know if you've seen Korean apples. They're pretty big. And, and again, my problem is not that he ate. My problem is not that he wasn't alone. If you tell me he had a wife and children, that would be fine. Yeah. My problem is why do you lie to me? No, why do you lie? Why the lie? It, it seems like from the moment that you met them on that campus yep. until the very end, it was full of deception and dishonesty. Yep. And uh, and and control of information, how they were trying to con- and and through the internet mission, they were trying to control the information and yep. and trying to manipulate so many so it, many people. The WMS is a, a divine, a spiritual North Korea. Mm. it's everything that you hear there is propaganda. Yes. Everybody outside is bad. Everybody outside is lying. Mm. And the leader can do no wrong. And the only way for you to have salvation is for you to surrender your freedom and your critical faculties. You know, and th- that's how they are successful. Totally back off topic now. Mm-hmm. In, in December of 2012, when you mm-hmm. and your wife left, were you guys, did you guys play out the rest of the month like a little bit scared or were you guys both just like, this is stupid and everybody else thinks the world's going to end and we're oh, just... oh no, when I left, I was out. I mean, I had been yeah. talking with exit counselors. Okay. Uh, but you, you were know, like done. So you were prepared. I, I, I was out way before then. Uh, my yeah. wife, she was out. She was, you know, it, it's difficult no matter what, because again, it's your friend's um, is everything that you know. So it's difficult. But but no, we, we didn't think anything good about mother when, when we left. Do you guys celebrate Christmas and stuff now with your kids or do you uh, guys keep that? Uh, I, I am a sucker for anything that is with family. Yeah. So I'll celebrate any holiday. I will, I'm not religious, so I won't insert anything religious on it. But as long as I can be with my nieces, with my children, you want to throw some Ramadan? I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I like 
I cannot see evil in things that are with family. And, and that was something that the WMS would say, like they would say, well, if your father's birthday is in January and you celebrate it in a different day, wouldn't he be upset? You know, or your spouse, you know, wouldn't they be upset? And I have two kids and my birthday's in November. If today my son comes with a, a birthday cake, I'll be super excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be excited. I wouldn't be right. upset. I wouldn't punish right. my son for getting my birthday wrong. Right. Like it is a very human, not only human. I don't know if I can curse this part, but it's it's just yes, a go for it. It's, it's just a stupid way, you know. Like it's yeah. it's just like it's it's not people are not like that, you know. And I wouldn't expect God to be punishing their children for getting the birthday wrong. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not religious, but I'll 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 do everything. No. Do you feel like all these years later that you still have any like psychological effect, uh, like tra- any kind of trauma left over, anything like that? Maybe you and your wife, or maybe when you see the news or anything like that, does any of that trigger oh, you? Oh, of course. For example, yeah. like your podcast and Jordan's, mm-hmm. I decided to listen to them maybe a month and a half ago, um, just because it, it is triggering for me and it does bother me. And I'm sure partly of the reason of why I don't speak publicly is because I still have that thing of not wanting to be called like Satan in there and like, you know, the people who knew me for them not to think that, you know, I'm just this activist. Um, For me to grow facial hair, that took me a while because I didn't want them to see me in the street and think that I was demon possessed because they would say that when brothers would be demon possessed, they would start growing facial hair. Like if that was a thing. Um, so it took me a while because I didn't want them to see me in the street and think that I was demon possessed. And then I was like, that they're still controlling me. You know, even though I don't believe in a lot of what they, I don't, I believe in nothing of what they say. Uh, but yes, you know, of course, like you still have some trauma. You still, uh, it was well, a big part of, of my life. You are it was still involved with them. I mean, they're still coming. And I am still involved with them. I have never been able to get rid of them. Yeah, that's so frustrating. I bet that is infuriating. Yep, yep, yep. Sure is. But I was able to win the NDA. um, Oh, good. And they appealed. Okay, so we have, yeah, really exciting news. Raymond, would you mind explaining sort of like what an NDA is and and how you came about signing that? Yeah, so so a non-disclosure agreement is, is something that, it's pretty common um, in businesses, uh, not in churches, <laughs> where they tell you, I am going to pay you, but you cannot talk about X, about something that is um, like, I wouldn't say private, but something that is important for the business. Um, but a business cannot tell you, you cannot talk about anything here. They, they cannot tell you, I'm gonna pay you, but you cannot tell your husband your salary, right? A business cannot do that. Um, They cannot have control over that. Now, the WMS first created this NDA to try to get Michelle Colon to sign it when she left. Uh, They wrote this NDA and we tried to get her to sign. Of course, she didn't sign it. She was like, give it to me. I'll show it to my lawyer. And we were like, no, just sign it or or leave. I was in that meeting when we tried to get her to sign it. Um, And then a missionary 
updated that document to for everybody to sign it. And the purpose of that document was just to scare members, like so they don't talk when they leave. Just to tell you, at that time we had lawyers, and we didn't use the lawyers to write the NDA. But you mentioned like a business has to like like they'll pay you money for you to sign the NDA. So what was yeah. the church going to offer you to sign the NDA? Were they offering you money? They were offering you not to kick you out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh and, wow, and, how nice of them. <laughs> and, and that was something that that even when we were giving the document, so the pastor of that church is the worst enemy of of the church. I I think because even when we had to sign that document, something big with signing documents is for you not to be under duress when you sign it, right? So like we made sure to explain to him, like, don't say anything crazy, <laughs> like everybody's gonna sign it. And then when everybody got the document, he got up and he said, and if you don't sign it, I'll kick you out. And then like, we just looked at each other, like the ones who were involved with that. And we were like, yep, there that goes. <laughs> but again, the, the purpose was never to, really go after people the purpose like most people most church of god members when they leave they don't want legal trouble and it was something so so we decided to sign it in january 1st 2012 because we had a big meeting with all, all the church leaders so in the beginning it was something just quote-unquote church leaders right like team leaders group leaders and you know deacons missionaries from the different branches of the east coast and then like the next week he went rogue and he took it to New York and he made like new members sign this document. Like everybody was signing this document. Um, and yeah, uh, that document pretty much says that you cannot talk about the church of God, anything that you learned inside of the church of God, outside of the church of God related to the church of God. So me telling my son, I went to a church called World Missions Society Church of God would be illegal, according to this document. Me telling a therapist, me telling the cops. And and that's something that like the court, you know, wouldn't go for. First, there was no compensation, right? Like again, and, and this is not legal life, no legal advice. Again, it's Ali McBeal legal knowledge. Um, but they have to give you some compensation, you know, like give you something. And and they have to, it has to there has to be a limit. They cannot say you cannot talk about anything that that is illegal. Um, so and they can't tell you if you don't sign this, I'm going to kick you out. <laughs> and they cannot tell you that. They cannot say if you don't sign it out. Oh I'm my kick gosh, you out. that's awful. And yeah. there's no end date to it, isn't that like a big legal thing? Yeah. Like it's there's... not like once you leave after like five years, then you could talk about it. That's like a whole. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know if that was on the examining site or somewhere that I read that. Yeah. That like, was like Raymond won against it. Yeah, so I won, and then they appealed, um, and I won again. Um, nice. Yeah, so. Was the judge yeah. just like, you guys are wasting my mother effing time? So <laughs> I, I regret not having the decisions here because there was one paragraph that the appeal court was like, and there are some things that the church is saying that we are not even going to give an answer to because they just don't make sense. I'm paraphrasing. They're yeah. way more eloquent. But it's not far from that. Yeah. Like they were really saying, like, we are not going to answer to these points because they don't deserve an answer. 
Yeah. Uh, wow. Raymond, do you remember when you were in there, there was a study and they would kind of talk about how this was a prophecy that like the church would be involved in lawsuits. Do you remember a study like that? Like, but when you're in there, you're told that the church members are suing the church. Yeah. But then when you come out, you're like, wait a minute, the church is actually no, suing the other people. No, the, the church started to sue uh, Michelle Cologne and, and somebody else who, who was helping with the examining side in Virginia. And that was, I want to say, like 2011. And uh, they sued them for $5 million. Oh, my gosh. Um, and again, the, <laughs> in my opinion, uh, the reason was just to, yeah. Scare for, them. For, scare. To scare them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and then they moved that lawsuit to New Jersey, um, and they lost that lawsuit. And then Michelle Colon is suing them. Wow. Because... It definitely seems more aggressive on the East Coast compared to over here. Um, the tactics seem a little bit more aggressive. Yes, they're, they're very aggressive in the East Coast. And it was something that there was a little bit of a competition, uh, or at least that's what you thought there was. Um, and it's something that the East Coast pride themselves on, that right. that they were supposed to be like the strongest one, the, the older brother and sister. So more disciplined. Be before you go to Korea, they train you. Uh, what to do in front of the other brothers and sisters because the other brothers and sisters are treated as if they are a little bit more unfaithful. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be like a good example. And mother was always praising New York, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because, you know, they, they were the most brainwashed ones, I think. Right, um, right. But yeah, they, they were, it was really aggressive and you will get rebuked in front of everybody for the smallest thing. There was this, this deacon that was working in a restaurant with another brother. And it was maybe 8 p.m. that they finished um, and they went to see a movie. And the pastor found out that after work, they went to see a movie and he called them into the church. And in front of everybody, he just ripped this deacon apart. And he told him, because of this, your son is not going to be able to keep the Passover. You have killed your son. And I want you to see a grown adult crying in front of everybody because, you know, that's a big deal. When you tell somebody that your son cannot keep the Passover, that your son is going to die because of you, that is a big deal. There was no need for that. But that is how they had us there. Like it was under that control where you had to report everything and the, the leaders that would report everything to the pastor were praised. If you didn't report things and something went wrong, it was because you didn't report. There were no secrets. There were no secrets. Everything had to be reported. And everything was controlled and everything had to be approved. Isn't it fascinating how, you know, just within that system, you're controlled by looking to other members and seeing what they're doing, just sort of like that peer pressure. It's just so fascinating how it just keeps everybody under that tight control. I, I mean, what choice do you have, right? right? When, when you are there, they tell you that your family, so they tell you that Satan is going to come through the people that you love the most, right? So that means if your mom tells you anything against the church, She's Satan. She has Satan. If your sister, your brother, your father, they are Satan. And then you cannot talk to religious leaders because they are Satan. And the Internet is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
right? So you have nobody. You're totally isolated. Like they, they are your bubble. It's an echo chamber. They are your community. They are your tribe. So they are the only ones who you can follow. And you can only do what they tell you. And if you don't, you are going to go to hell. So you don't have much of an option. It's like taxes. You don't have a choice, you know. Raymond, one of the, um, when I was from the outside looking in when Tony was in, one of the like reoccurring quote unquote rumors that I kept hearing on the internet was about um, like women being really discouraged to have children yeah. and um, the encouragement of abortions if you do get pregnant. And um, I was wondering if you had any experience with that or if you kind of know any personal stories about any of that. Yeah, I mean, discouraging pregnancies is something that if you understand the beliefs of the WMS makes total sense. If father is going to come next week and you're supposed to be bearing fruit, it, it makes it way more difficult once you have a child. Um, and if you have to be teaching, it makes it way more difficult once you know you have a child. So, so it was always discouraged. So there was a time when you would see that most of almost none of the leaders uh, had children. And that when some of the members would get pregnant and they were like considered faithful or gospel worker, the pastor would talk bad about them, you know, and say that they're, they're unfaithful. Um, so I, I had some experience with the abortions. Um, for example, in one of the cases, my wife had to take a sister to get an abortion, not because she wanted to, but because she was told uh, to take the sister. And the sister then had to take a break, to, you know, rest in my house because the pastor said that if she didn't do that, her husband was going to die spiritually. Um, so, you know, she had to do it. And there was another case of a sister that was a gospel worker uh, and she was in, in my branch uh, and she, she got pregnant. She had been married for like three or four years. Um, and when we told the pastor that she was pregnant, he was like, you know, what is she going to do with it? You know, is she going to keep it? Uh, we said like, we didn't know when he said, you know, that if she didn't terminate, that she was going to lose all their blessings. Um, so he told me to talk to the sister. And when I went and I talked to the sister and I asked her, well, how do you feel? She said, I feel irresponsible. Now, she was married. You know, she had been married for years. Uh, she was working. Her husband was working. She felt irresponsible because father was coming soon. And now she was getting pregnant. But she said, you know, she wanted to keep the baby. And she told me, Deacon, even if I had to just clean the floors and that would be my blessings, I'll, I'll do that. And, and of course, I, I wasn't going to push it because, again, the pastor tells you talk to the sister and then you cannot tell her like, oh, pastor said this or you just have to like see where's her mind and how much you can push. And that's where you see members who say like, oh, well, abortion, it wasn't really said, but, you know, I knew about it. It's because of that. Like it was really said. Right. Like, like I did have this conversation clearly, you know, it wasn't uh, you know, we were talking about abortion with, with the pastor, and I had this conversation with the sister. Um, but I had to be careful, you know, because then, you know, she could blame the church about this. So she decided not to do it. I told the pastor she decided not to do it. 
Uh, that sister at that time had a, had a big blessing, uh, a very like, um, she, she had a big blessing. Um, and she was taking off from that blessing about two days later. Uh, and she came to me and she was crying and she was like, is this how it's going to be, Deacon? Like, I'm going to lose all my blessings. And I told her, no, sister. It was just to give this blessing to another sister, you know, just to share the blessing. It had nothing to do with the pregnancy. You know, and that's, that's how she was treated because she was a gospel worker. Now, that sister, a couple of months before, helped us set up, you know, a baby shower for a new member that was pregnant because new members are treated differently. You know, so that's when, like, you hear testimonies of members who say, like, oh, I came into the church and I was pregnant and they did a baby shower for me and everybody was so nice. Yes, everybody was nice with you. They weren't nice with everybody. You know, and it all depends when you came. I was told to quit school. Some members that came later, you know, we bought balloons when they graduated from college, right? So it, it all depends where you are in your faith. Uh, but yeah, abortion, there is right now going on a lawsuit of a sister who's suing the church because the church encouraged her to get an abortion. Wow. Uh, again, this is my experience where I was. I don't know how it is in the other churches, but the thing is that you hear the same. Yeah. You hear the same. And, and, and that was something when I left that I was like thinking like, oh, maybe is my pastor the one that is bad. But then you will hear the same stories in L.A., in Denver, in Peru, in Korea, in Singapore, in Africa. That's and why we to do this podcast so that we could share you know worldwide all of yeah. our stories and compare them because when you hear the abuse happening you know and all over the world it's so sad it's the same now i have to say that 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 things seems to have changed after mm -hmm. ron ramus made that video you can see like on social media how a bunch of these leaders started to have children and i think that's one of the the good things about people speaking out the WMS is, is really reactive. So if you say something against them, they will try to cover and say like, no, we never did that, you know, and allow people to have children or allow people, you know, to finish college. So through this, in, in, in some way, we are making the WMS a better place, right? Even yeah. if these people cannot leave uh, and are still afraid, but at least they're having children. And when they leave, at least they're, they, they will, they're gonna have kids. You know, at least they are going to have a degree, um, you know, so, so I hope, you know, as more people speak out, hopefully they tone all these things down. Tony, do you want to share about the video that you made or you want to leave that out? Oh, you know, um, it was right after Ron Ramos came out and um, Denver. I think it was all the churches made a video um, and they asked certain sisters to give their experience of having a baby in the church. And this was after I had my first baby and I, I was just recently baptized. So like you said, they came to my baby shower. They were very loving. And so I, you know, they sat me down and made me do a video to talk about that experience. I forgot about that baby know. shower. We had the same baby shower. We did, yeah. And, and it was like mm -hmm. mostly church members. And I was like, so in, are all these when, I, when I had my second baby, I was a deaconess and I was like a house church leader and they didn't like that. So it's yeah. so true what you said. It depends on how um, how far you are into their mind control. Um, yeah. Another thing I think you sort of mentioned is in the earlier days and sort of um, in unexpected ways, some members felt a little bit of racism 
within the church? Do you think that that's something that you experienced or saw? So it, it, it's funny because I, I thought about like this whole racism thing. Um, and I asked my wife because I, I, I keep thinking like, was I crazy? Like, were there things that maybe I noticed that weren't true? And I asked my wife, my, my wife is white. And I asked her, do you, do you see like racism or preference? And she was like, of course, Raymond, like everybody saw that in, in the church. Um, and at least the East Coast, again, white fruit was a thing. I bore white fruit. And that was like, you know, a great thing. Like this person bore white fruit. And we were told that when, you know, white people would, you know, kneel to mother, that's, you know, when the end was going to come, right? And, and when many people, you will have like black people, or, you know, Hispanics in the church, uh, the pastor would say, we have a church in Africa, you know, for the black people. Why are we bringing so many black people here? Now our church looks like an African church, you know, because, you know, his brain didn't process the fact that is different people and that African is a large continent and that African-American, there's a difference, somebody from Georgia than somebody from, you know, Ghana, right? Like he, he, did, he didn't understand that concept. This is supposed to be the truth. And what matters is our spirit and, and his father, mother's children. How do you know that mother only sent white children, you know, to America? And what I always say about the racism in the church of God is that it's not like, this caricature of racism is it's not like 1860s racism. It's more like 1970s racism. Yeah. Right? It's not it's not like Hispanics are, you know, bad and I don't want to touch them. It's more like they need to work a little bit higher harder to become a leader. Right? It's not like I don't want to work with them. It's more like I don't want them to be my neighbor. Right? Like that type of Luke, of racism. I've heard uh, like when they would set up for photos they would bring all, all of the, the white, all the white people to the front and kind of surround everybody else behind them. Yes, all the white people to the front and everybody in the back. The word ghetto was a big like you know insult that was used a lot. Like anything that like a black person would do or a Hispanic person would do that didn't fit heavenly culture, all of a sudden was ghetto. Um, there was one time that I was late to to see um, like a, a hall that we were going to use for an event. And I was with a brother, another brother was Dominican and one that was Colombian. And the pastor rebuked us. And he said, do you want me to treat you like a Hispanic person, like a low class person? Like that's, that's why he told, I spoke four languages, you know, when oh I joined this call. And he was talking to me like, oh, you know, you want me to treat you like a Hispanic person? And that oh. was an offense. Oh. When he would tell me that, I would say, no, Moxanin, I'm sorry, Moxanin, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Moxanin. Yeah. There was a, a brother that was black because racism, even at that time inside of the church, you will hear, hear like comments about racism. And the pastor would say, uh, I'm not racist. And he will point at a brother that's from Barbados, I think. And he would say him, you know, he's not black for to me. Uh, he's white because he's so nice. That would be the <laughs> way that he would excuse being racist. He would say, like, I don't see color for me. He's white. Oh my uh, gosh. Because again, like he doesn't understand that like that is racist to say that. That, that is racist. <laughs> that other people from other colors can be nice and can right. be educated. You know, it but is I guess weird though, because they talk about prophecies like 
like um, like they always mention like Americans like going to see mother is fulfillment of prophecy. I don't know. Did you feel like that too? So like they sort of make it feel like it's part of prophecy that you need to bear white fruit, but it's like exactly. And and again, it's, it's ridiculous. It is in their doctrine. Mm-hmm. We did right. the six day creation. The right. curse of Ham is a thing, right? Like right. Ham is the 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 son that was cursed from Noah, and he was supposed to be you know, Africans are descendant from these people, so from, from Ham. So that's why he, you know, they're, they're supposed to be cursed. And again, the curse of Ham is not something that was invented by the WMS. Right, that's it's, a teaching and other... It's something that racists have also. used right. since the beginning. <laughs> right. You know, it was something used in America, it's something that right. was used in Europe. Like, people justified slavery for a long time, saying, well, if God cursed them, who am I? to say, you know, that they shouldn't be slaves. Mm. It's something that was used. Again, they tried to say, oh, look, we have leaders that are black. And again, I'm not saying that they are like these, you know, 1850s, you know, racist. Right. But they, they, that black leader most likely had way more comments about his race than the white leader. And he might have taken them a little bit longer to get to the position where they are and the white leader. Right. And I knew it was something we heard. It's something we saw. There was another member that he was arranged to a Korean. And the pastor, he, he's Hispanic. And the pastor told him, you know, she, she, you know, it's shameful for her to marry you. You know, like it's, it's bad for her family. He's bringing shame to her family. And, you know, he was a leader and he was crying because of that because he felt so guilty that, you know, his wife had to marry somebody that, like, would bring shame. So New York Church was really known for, um, they were a really good example of doing blood drives and um, put, making these elaborate videos and putting them on YouTube and um, orchestra concerts and all these um, different activities for their communities. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like that since the beginning. In the beginning, right, right. when we would talk about volunteering activities, the pastor would say that'd be a waste of time. That it was a waste of time. That you <laughs> right. know, we had to give people eternal life. That why would right. we make them more comfortable uh, here? And when we would ask about the volunteering activity that that Korea was doing, we would be told that we are doing that because of the bad publicity from the internet, and that's why they're doing that. Um, and then we started to do community service because Korea asked us to do community service. And I remember that there was one sister that went like on a radio show and that ignited everything and and that was good. And now we had to do community service. There was even one brother that he, when he joined, he would donate blood. And he asked me like, can I still donate blood? And we went to the pastor to ask him and the pastor was like, no, the blood that is important is the blood of the Passover. And then a year later, we are planning blood drives and telling everybody to donate blood. And the brother asked me, like, Deacon, you told me that we weren't supposed to donate blood. And I was like, well, you know, now father and mother want us to donate blood. But it was all for publicity. The pastor would even tell that the lady responsible of blood drives, not she wasn't a church member, uh, but like on the organization that we will donate blood, he would say like, she's a vampire. She only wants our blood but she doesn't want to give us anything in return. And everything was, you know, who can we contact? Who can we reach out to? If we don't don't have publicity, it doesn't matter. 
we did a, a great Samaritan movement where we were supposed to donate a bunch of cans of food uh, to, to a food bank. And we called them before. We asked them, what is the most that you have received? And they gave us an amount and we were like, we're going to double it, you know, with the hope that they were going, you know, to get, you know, call some journalists and we will like be in the news as the church that, that gave double. Um, and then when we got all of these cans, which were mostly members getting the cans, um, and we called them and they said like, oh yeah, sure, bring them, thank you. And we asked like, what about like, can we get anything from it? And they were like, no, we don't have journalists. We don't have, none of that. We decided not to give them the cans. Um, and they were in storage and we were trying to, to find other people to give these cans to uh, that could give us some publicity. Um, I heard, because I, I never went to go, uh, but one of the deacons told me that some of it had expired and had to be thrown out uh, because it was there for a while. Uh, I'm not sure what happened at the end, but but we didn't give them at that time mm -hmm. when we were saying that we were going to give it. But most members don't know that. Mm -hmm. Most members not, don't know about that. Right. And and we will be Only making... the leaders would know about that, which is why people don't get angry and don't get outraged about it because they don't know. Yeah. And, and we would, you know, make websites for church um, volunteering activities for Deja Yon and for We Love You Foundation. And my wife at one moment was like treasurer or vice president of We Love You Foundation. She she had no idea. You know, <laughs> and like the address of the We Love You Foundation was like the same address as, you know, some church members. Because um, cause it was just a mirage at that time. Wow. I, I don't know how they do it today, but I know at that time it was just the same. Um, I, I recently went on the We Love You Foundation website and uh, the whole time I was just like, this is so crazy to know what I know now. Well, it, it's funny. Website. Like, it's so it's part of like the UN is what it says. Like the UN acknowledges it as a humanitarian organization or something. Yeah, most likely the they gave. They're like, this feels so icky that they're allowed to say all that on there. <laughs> most likely they gave money to it. Yeah. I, I would imagine. That's my opinion. Yeah, uh, that's what I think. Uh, the, I know the the presidential award that they were talking so much about it, um, and, and it's one of the reasons why they're suing Michelle Cologne because she she talked about this. Um, so the presidential award is it wasn't like Obama sat down and saw the Church of God and was like, oh wow, this, this is a nice place, you know, we should give them an award. It was nothing like that. Um, pretty much, you apply to become like a certifying organization. So let's say like playing in traffic decides to become a, a you know, certifying organization where you can give awards to Kelsey, to Jordan for the activities that they have done. That's a great idea. Let's what you cannot, <laughs> you can do it. What you cannot do is give one to playing in traffic. Right, right? Because right. playing in traffic is, you're not supposed to. And everybody who receives this award is supposed to be an American citizen. Mm -hmm. Right. So the WMS saw that and I was like, no, hold my beer. And they <laughs> made themselves a certifying authority, gave an award to the Church of God in New Jersey, um, gave an award to Changil Ja, gave an award to Jucho Kim. And all of this is like a, just a spreadsheet where you type Changil Ja, this many hours she worked, and then you upload it and then you pay. And depending on how many hours they did in the spreadsheet, they get the award. 
um, and then depending on the award you pay uh, a fee and then you get the award and you know it has a signature of Obama so that's how the presidential award was given yeah wow. I, I, I I know who who filled out the spreadsheet Wow. What about like the I, Queen's I was Award? There, Do you remember uh, hearing about the Queen's Award? Because that was I, later. I was out already. I, right, I know about too. it. Yeah. I know it's also BS, but I was out. Right. But wow. I was there when we received the, the, the award. Wow. That's going to mean so much to so many people in there because I, I've overheard so many times how that was used to get people like, wow. It's used as propaganda. Is big. Yeah, yeah, that's mm -hmm. a big propaganda point. for them. Obama didn't know about them. Yeah, let's um, let's write him an email and ask him if he knows it. <laughs> yeah, again, you you can become a certifying authority organization and, and and give some awards if you want. Wow, that is so. So, so much of this reminds me of Chad's story when he came on about the coat drive in Denver. Yeah, mm -hmm. they I mean, coats away. Again, if you understand their beliefs, you understand that this does not make sense of volunteering activity. You made you committed a, a sin in heaven. Mm -hmm. If you're inert, that means that you are in jail. That means that you are bad. They t they used to say, and they stopped saying that, that babies, when they will die, was because their sin was so big in heaven that God didn't give them a chance. Mm. So if you are poor and you know you have nothing, that's just your punishment. You deserve that. So they don't really care. Tony, have we ever explained that on the podcast, that concept that... I, th I think we maybe have a while ago that you're a sinner against God in heaven. And so yeah. being born on, that's sort of their explanation of suffering. Yeah. And I think that sort of solves a big philosophical question for people who are like, I like Christianity, but like God, Christ, like normal Christian God doesn't explain why like humans suffer so much. Because yeah. if there's an all knowing, all loving God, why would we suffer so much? Yeah. And then the church of God is like, I'll tell you why you have to suffer because you actually sinned against God and you're bad. Like you yeah. put the blame bad. on you. Yeah. Don't hold, your whole it's, life is to like uh, remind God of like why you belong in heaven. It, 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 the point it is, is a good answer and it explains a lot of that. It's like an Eastern, it's an Eastern philosophy kind of added in with the Western. Yeah, it, it is very basic though. Once you start thinking about it, you realize it doesn't make any sense yeah. that we try to kill God. <laughs> like, like that does not make sense. And that uh, all of, and that all of our existence is suffering. Like that's yeah. so me. I mean, if you're a human, you know, there is suffering, but there's also like so yeah. much other happiness but and love. And Mormons believe something very similar. Like none of these teachings from the Church of God are really unique. Right. None of them are really impressive. Right. They, they, you can find them all in other places intermingled mm -hmm. in like eastern philosophy and western philosophy yeah. i thought that was fascinating though because it, it to me it feels like a very like a almost buddhist almost like um hindu sort of explanation of like reincarnation and and kind of a you know the the, the thing that connects us is the suffering right it's a very like eastern philosophy yeah. mixed in given as an explanation to explain the missing parts of like a western philosophy yeah so Anyways, but yeah, because you've mentioned that a few times in this podcast, and I don't, I don't know how much we've gone into detail of that being a big, like, teaching of the church. It's yeah. true. You need to understand the whole um, belief system in, in order to understand how people will will go, you know, smart, intelligent people can join these organizations and do these types of tactics themselves, you know? Like, you would have never imagined that you would do some of those things. I would never imagine that I would do some of those things. Uh 
I am the most skeptical person and I'm always like into like fact checking and critical thinking and learn and anybody can be. And you, you have a unique position because you saw a lot of the, you were a part of the internet manipulation. So you're like, even if it's on the internet, I know how easy that is to like, just fake that. (laughs) That's crazy. And, and, And that's why they, they do not do debates. They cannot, you know, a Church of God member, a leader wouldn't come here because it, it's difficult. They have a really difficult time um, explaining what they believe and being able to defend it outside of their bubble. You know, right. because I, I'm willing to talk with any of them. Right. And I know that everything is false, but but they wouldn't be able to debate. You know, they wouldn't come debate. We would love to have somebody on that's still in the church. Yeah, open invitation. Anybody who wants to come on, we'll be nice. But you'd have to be so brave. I mean, they would have to be so brave to do that. Well, not only brave. So, so the most of the people who are going to come to a podcast, or because I, I just know how these things work, to go to a YouTube channel or to go to a podcast, it won't be approved because in the moment that you, for you to get a leader, a leader will need to get approval of that. And a pastor wouldn't approve this. Right. Come on, South right. Korea, approve it. Yeah. It'd be good. Everybody wants to hear a current member. Yes. It'd be good for you. Send them on. <laughs> we know oh, you're listening. Man. We can see you're listening. <laughs> oh, they listen. Yeah. They yeah, do. Yeah, so yeah. If I was in the WMS, I would be listening to our that's podcast. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you and think that there's someone that's assigned to like listen to our podcast on the week? Like, if things... If things are still the way that they were when I left, yeah. I will have listened to all of your podcasts. Raymond, your story is so inspiring. I mean, and so honestly sad. There are so many parts where I really want to just cry for the 18-year-old <laughs> you, you know, that came to America. But, but, but you know, it did make you the man that you are today. <laughs> and And you are strong, you know, for what you went through and your whole family. You guys are, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, and and I I was lucky that I left when I left. I was lucky that they arranged me to who they arranged me. Right. Uh, so so I, I was definitely lucky, you know. And and I'm fine. Again, if if I could, you know, travel back in time, right. I would have said nope. I am yeah. not going. <laughs> I am. No, I, I wouldn't have gone. What would you uh, think is the the most healing thing? Like, what would you recommend for people who are coming out? Maybe you. You know, it's a very scary process. What would what would you recommend for them? And and I get this this <laughs> question because some some people when they leave, they think that I'm this like activist that I have this like underground group, you know, fighting the WMS. And they tell me like Raymond, I I want to join that group. And I tell them like, get therapy, get therapy, get help, take your time, and then when you feel better, you decide if you want to fight them or not, you know, but first get therapy. And I see the difference between the people who leave and get therapy and understand what they went through than the people who leave and just try to ignore it, you know, and, and didn't get therapy and, and just don't even realize that they were in a cult. You know, there is a big difference. So definitely to get therapy. And there's a lot of people, a lot of really nice people who left. Uh, there's a whole community. Uh, and yeah, to talk to other people. 
Yeah, it sounds like in your store, you guys had a little group of uh, community that you guys would help each other, like get through the Sabbath days. I know missing that first Sabbath day is really scary. So that's that's a really um, that's a really great thing that you guys had over there. Yeah, we're still friends. You know, I still have a good amount of friends that that are ex-members. Good thing is that by now we don't talk as much Mm -hmm. about the WMS. Uh, There are many other things, but but yeah, you know, we're still really good friends and and we, we will always like understand that thing that you know we went through all of us which a lot of people do not understand a lot of people don't understand a lot of my friends don't even know i was in a cult because i know they won't understand this because they're like raymond you're so smart why would you be in a place like that uh, and, and i'm yeah and it's just they don't understand the how this is systematic and the process you know it's not like from one day to another that they do this that's why I'm so grateful that you share your story because you are very articulate and very educated and very smart. And it's important for people to see that anybody can be misled yep. and our brains can be manipulated. Yep. And, and when you talk to parents, they always tell you, oh, it was the last person from all my children, the one that I didn't think was going to join a cult. Wow. And when you talk to them, it's like, yeah, this is the person who was like really smart and like, and they're the ones who get hooked in this cult. Yeah. Thank you, Raymond, for being that brave. That person. Whoever yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We love you. Is that was that triggering for them to hear me say that? We love you. We love you. Oh my gosh, that is <laughs> cringy. Interesting, cringy, cringy. <laughs> Raymond, thank you so much. This has no, been really, uh, for me personally, very eye-opening. You too. Okay. Bye. Boom. Oh, oh, boom, baby. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm out. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, thank you.